0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, constitutional conservatives, independent conservatives, and yes, even liberals and moderates who are just yearning to be free, who don't want to live in a fascist society, want to truly live and let live. This is the show for you. Daniel Horowitz here at CR Podcast, Blaze Media, on Tuesday of this very tumultuous week of a very tumultuous time. Now, folks, I mentioned yesterday that we are going through the process, like everyone else, of trying to find where we can still have freedom of speech. I am still on Twitter at Conservative until I get kicked off. We are still on Facebook at Speakeasy, as well as Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary. And we are going to use that to drive traffic to our new sites, our new venues, which hopefully won't get shut down. So first off, Rumble is the place where I'm going to try to post more videos more often. I know I've been lax about that last year. So at Rumble, I'm at Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary. Same name. I'm also on Clout Hub. D E Horowitz. I can never get my full name. It's so annoying. But D E Horowitz um, haven't really done much there. But I will in the future, and we'll see what happens from there. And again, always, always, you go to theblaze.com. That's our independent platform uh, where I am never censored, and you could certainly find my articles as well as the podcast. Assuming iTunes and Google Play take it down, who knows what's going to happen? And then, of course, as always, our sponsor this month, ConstitutionCoach.com. There's nothing better than meeting up old-fashioned way in person. Join me at Front Sight Nevada, the best training facility for uh, defensive arms training at constitutioncoach.com you could find all the details the 3-day training beginning February 7th 5-day training with Rick Green and the crowd you'll be able to meet people from this show other shows um just other patriots retired folks young folks with kids where we could shoot together it's it's a lot of fun uh, after you learn just the basics and proper draw and had a, had a shoot you know, from 3 yards, 5 yards, 10 yards within 2 seconds, less than 2 seconds. They have a shoot house, which is really fun. Um, it's just a terrific opportunity. We'll have lectures about the Constitution at night. And folks, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, 90% off the regular price. It's typically very expensive, the training out there. Um, because obviously there's a lot of materials, very laborious. So come join me, February 7th. Now, guys, I know it's bad. Maybe perhaps when everyone's all happy, I'm the prophet of woe and lamentation, so perhaps now that everyone's in the dumps, maybe I can give an optimistic look. And I will tell you, there is something very, very settling And comforting about hitting rock bottom. We were always too dependent. On big tech, we were always too dependent on a phony Republican Party. That was the problem. I mean, when I was a kid, I went with my dad to United We Stand ...meetings in 1992 when Perot was running, and we were talking about the debt and dependency, this degree of socialism we already had then, and now we would die to go back to those levels of debt, dependency, hedonism, values. This this ship has run away so far, we were never going to fix it conventional ways. We're never going to fix it by just merely electing a Republican president. And it's not going to happen. We need something new. We need a new movement. We need a new party. We need to build from bottom up, from scratch. Local and state races. It's not about saving America anymore. America was lost a long time ago. What about America do you like? Which values? And you know, if you examine them, you'll discover the fact that they were lost for quite some time already. But the good news is there are a lot of patriots. Um, There's 75 million people who voted for Trump. There is a number of tens of millions of others that likely either didn't vote or maybe even voted against him because they didn't like his personality, but they're fundamentally not leftists. And I think, you know, with the left becoming so crazy, like never before... They're literally going to persecute all of us. But the good news is there's a lot of us. And that overreach is the opportunity. Remember Obama's overreach. Which is going to look like a day in the park compared to this. And we won the greatest election in two generations in 2010. Except it wasn't we. It was the Republican Party. All of that work went into the Republican Party. And the one thing we need to take from this is the inspiration to do more. You know, I I see all these talk show hosts talking about, well, the election's over. Let's focus on the next elections. Now, I don't mind that, but it's in what way are you going to focus on the next elections? Are you going to focus on them in a way that you're pressuring your local elected Republicans right now to either convert to our cause or die? I don't mean physically. I mean politically politically that we're going to primary all of you and we're going to change it from school board and sheriff and county commission to state legislator and governor and then eventually to congress or is it just oh my gosh republicans have to win back the house and the senate <laughs> like any republican just 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 vote for them not even focus on the state stuff not even focus on primaries which start really now is the season for recruiting no, just Republicans have to take back. And then we have to worry about our 2024 candidate. I'm here to tell you, I don't care if you have Ron DeSantis. I don't care if you have Louis Gohmert. I don't care if you elect me as president. It's not going to change, as you could well see, until we change the politics and the culture and the two really go together ground up. I know it sounds depressing to say we're letting America go, but it's true. It, there's nothing depressing because it already died. We're trying to save what is still salvageable, which is not really America as we know it. It's a refuge for us to kind of live out our lives in peace and placidity with a modicum of ordered liberty, safety, security, and obviously basic constitutional freedoms. And there's going to be significant parts of the country that aren't going to have that. And at the federal level, that swamp is, is irreversible. But the question is, are we going to have areas in the country where they are a beacon for freedom inherently, internally, and then externally, they will fight to block federal usurpations? That is the challenge of our time. That's the only way. We have no other choice unless we move to Greenland or something. That's all we can do. Let me let me demonstrate my point. Any one of you who understands politics, when I read off these names, you should get the point right away. And I, I shouldn't even have to explain it. Let's start with the governors. The governors who are up for re-election. Okay? The governors who are up for re-election. Now, what I'm doing is... And I'm going to write an article. I'll do a column on this so you could see the names. The overwhelming majority of governors are up during the midterm elections. Not during the presidential elections. And I'm starting with governors because, as we're seeing, they're eminently more important than senators. Right now, the Democrats basically have a 100-0 majority in the, in the federal U.S. Senate. So it's not going to help anyway. One senator, even if they are good, can't do much. But a governor, I mean, you could have a state. Are they free or are they COVID fascist? It makes a huge difference, as we're seeing. A governor is much, much more important. And that will determine which states and how many states we could flee to. So I'm going to list the opportunities, meaning the seats that are up, either they're bad incumbent Republicans. They're open seats, Republican seats that are they're term limited, or they're Democrat incumbents, but in states that are either red or in a midterm, especially with the Democrats, you know, they're going to be so unpopular and so much with the overreach. If you look at the map in 2010, we did very well in all all of these states. We actually won all of these states. So that's what I'm looking at as a yardstick. An opportunity to win, but not win by, oh, let's just for sleep through the primary and elect Republicans. Now, look, my view is we need a patriot party. My view is we need a freedom party, whatever you want to call it. But all, you know, if everyone's like, oh, I have to go to the Republican Party. Or, you know, it's, it's too long. It takes too long to get the petitions and ballot access for one cycle. And it's going to be a long term project. Fine but run as a de facto slate of Patriot candidates that just use the Republican Party for ballot access. Think about it. If the overwhelming majority of Republican voters stand with Trump, 90%, but 95% of elected Republicans do not, and again, you know when I say stand with Trump, you know I'm not about the cult of personality at all. I mean, I've criticized him for four years about different things. I mean, about what he is perceived as standing for And the hopes and aspirations that his supporters have projected upon him. And what they want to get done. The movement. That's what I'm talking about. I'm going to read down the the list of names. Okay. So there's incumbent. First we're going to go through the incumbent Republicans. Running for re-election in winnable red states. Okay. I believe there's 14 of them. Ron DeSantis in Florida okay let's say Christy Nome in South Dakota let's put in Henry McMaster of South Carolina. I mean none of these you know'm I'm, I'm not really big into a lot of these guys, but those are three out of the 14 that have not instituted lockdown to varying degrees three out of 14. Now, I'm going to read to you the other 11. And you tell me how many of them deserve to be renominated. How many of them stand for us on a single issue? How many of them are downright standing with the other side on every single issue and certainly COVID fascism? How many of them are going to be with us when the ATF and the FBI come knocking and persecuting us? Ask yourself that question. K-I-V, Alabama. Alabama, K-I-V is a rhino dirtbag. Mike Dunleavy, Alaska. He has lockdown there. Brian Kemp in Georgia. I don't need to say more. Brad Little, Chicken Little in Idaho. Leftist. Kim Reynolds in Iowa. She was slightly better for a while. Held out with lockdown, but then gave in. And then on other issues, I mean, she literally met with BLM to... Give felons the right to vote. I guess maybe we'll need that because we'll all be designated as felons. But you get my point. Chris Sununu, New Hampshire, lockdown fascist, total leftist. I know New Hampshire is a very is a swing state, but you know Republicans took back the state house this election. Midterms they always do very well. They'll do very well. And by the way, this is all putting the cheating aside and the mail in ballots, which of course you're not allowed to talk about anymore. You're not allowed to oppose. You're a Nazi if you say there's a problem um, overriding election law. But okay. Mike DeWine in Ohio. Rhino from the pits of hell. Dirtbag. Um, he is every bit as much of a leftist. You know what? I was about to say. I caught myself. I was about to say he's every bit as a, as much of a leftist as um, Cuomo. But actually Cuomo came out yesterday after the election, of course, and said... You know what? We can't lock down forever. So actually, Mike DeWine is to the left of Cuomo. These are solid red states in a presidential year when we, you know, it was kind of like 50-50. Certainly in the midterms when Democrats are going to get slaughtered if we have the opportunity. Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma. He hasn't had a full mask mandate. I get it. But, I mean, that guy is awful. Jailbreak. I mean, every other issue. Bill Lee in Tennessee, this is a guy who put out the mask video. He said, we we can't let out or open up the jail doors quickly enough to let out enough prisoners. He's obsessed with refugee resettlement. Greg, something that rhymes with Abbott in Texas, Um, need I say more? And you know, today, Texas is beginning its legislative session today. This is Texas, the big red state, the biggest red state in the country. Shouldn't it be clear if we had a sane movement that was focused and had been focused, like I am, that by the end of today, COVID fascism should be gone? Or if you have the legislative maneuvers that take some time, three, four days, whatever it is, that should be gone. Mark Gordon in Wyoming, this is a man who is criticizing his own people for spreading COVID. Wyoming. Folks, are you getting the point? Are you starting to get the point? Texas, Wyoming, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Ohio, Iowa, Idaho, Alaska, Alabama. Are you getting the message here? If we would only... Focus on those gubernatorial primaries and flip those seats to patriot Republicans in name only, of course. We're the rhinos. Do you understand what a better country we would have? Numerous states to compete and then the people would start seeing that they're so much better, it would pressure the other states. Everyone's focused. I'm sick of this. Oh, my God, we got to take back the House and the Senate with rhinos. Oh, my gosh, the Democrats, the Democrats. These are states with supermajorities in the legislature and rhino governors. If, if we only took the areas that have supermajority Trump support among the voters and nominated normal people, we might not have a majority of the country, but we'll have significant portions where we can go and be free. Why am I the only one in this business that I know of focusing on this? Where is all the money in organization? Well, they're too busy grifting. Then there's three more seats in red states that I mean uh, well one of them is has been turned over but it should be red in a midterm. Doug Dunsey from Arizona is a rhino dirtbag but he's term limited so that's a great pickup opportunity. Asa Hutchinson, loser, Arkansas, and Pete Ricketts in Nebraska. I mean He was like in between, wasn't as good as Noman DeSantis, but he never really instituted a stay at home. But I mean, fundamentally, this guy on other issues is not really with us. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Nebraska, Arkansas, Arizona. So what did I say? 11 seats to move to the right? That's 14. 14 governorships. Then we have, what is this? Eight seats where there's Democrat governors now. But to varying degrees, they should be easy, either easy, easy pickups or competitive, at least, in a midterm with Democrats. When, you know, when Democrats are in control at a federal level, those states really swing red. But again, you can't just be like, okay, we got to get rid of the Democrat at all costs. You have to build a solid foundation. You can't build a majority, a movement, a party on quicksand on Republicans that will not only stab you in the back, but they'll enact the stuff for the left that they couldn't do on their own, and then the left doesn't get blamed for it. Laura Kelly, Democrat from Kansas. That should easily flip. Janet Mills in Maine. Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Tim Waltz in Minnesota. Steve Sisolak in Nevada. Michelle Lewin Grisham in New Mexico. Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania. Tony Evers in Wisconsin. We got to get good nominees there. This is really where it matters. I mean, I'm not joking. If we had a slate of people that ran against COVID fascism, ran on civil liberties, but clamping down on violent crime. I am telling you, between open Republican seats, between kicking out bad Republican incumbents, and between Democrat governors in states that should flip... You're literally talking about an opportunity that you can get Patriots, Patriot governors in 20 more states. There's no reason that can't happen. This is really the number one focus. Now, obviously, in a, all along, we need to really be focused on the sheriffs and school boards and county commissioners and things like that as well. But if you want to focus on the big ticket races, Congress is not going to do anything for us. I'm just telling you, this is where it needs to be. But nonetheless, let me give you a sense of what's out there in the Senate. What's out there in the Senate. Tons of Republicans are up this year. It's very much more Republicans up than Dems. But they're almost all in solid red states in a midterm with Dems in control. Very big opportunity. I want you to see what we have. Just just these names. Anyone who follows politics should realize where I'm headed. Richard Shelby in Alabama. Are we going to allow him to go without a primary? Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. John Bozeman in Arkansas. Dead horse. Marco Rubio in Florida. I wanted to get to him later if we have time. Mike Crapo in Idaho, total rhino. Todd Young in Indiana, total rhino. Chuck Grassley in Iowa, a fool. What is he? A hundred years old? He'll run again. Jerry Moron Moran in Kansas. Roy Blunt in Missouri. I mean, these are solid states. Richard Burr, North Carolina. It's not a solid, but it's been you know still red. John Hoven, Rhino is anything in North Dakota. Rob Portman in Ohio. James Lankford in Oklahoma. Tim Scott in South Carolina. John Thune in South Dakota. Mike Lee in Utah. And of course, Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania, which is a tougher seat, but in an off year, it should be easier, but he's retiring. What was that, over a dozen right there? Red states. Red states. If, If in these states... The Trump electorate within the Republican Party should have a supermajority easily. How is it that these guys will just coast to renomination? The only ones that I, I mean, grading on a curve that I could see any saving grace. And it's not on every issue. It's on a few issues here and there. They'll be with us. John Kennedy of Louisiana, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, and Rand Paul of Kentucky. They're up as well. The other names I mentioned, how could we renominate them? How? I just don't get it. Do you understand why we are where we are? Let me explain something to you. This happened on Friday. On Friday, I put out a column, basically putting pen to paper, the monologue I did, maybe it was Thursday, Wednesday, about Marco Rubio. That Marco Rubio had the most on-point statement about the state of affairs in the country, <clears throat> diagnosis, analysis, except he didn't realize he was speaking about himself. He is the problem. And he basically said <clears throat> that the problem is America is not government. It's faith, family, and a community, and we make too much of a big deal about government and elections, and we tear each other out, and if we only just you know lived freely, faith, family, and community, government wouldn't be that important. And I was like, you're right, except because of people like you greasing the skids for what the Democrats are doing, and going along with it and forcefully pushing it. Well, America is indeed government. Government controls our breath, every step we take, every move we, we make, every breath we take. You have to wear a mask. Your business is shut down. You have no freedom of speech, nothing. We have nowhere to turn. So, yeah, I mean, government's a big deal. We don't have a life until we deal with government. And I noted how. You know this man has done nothing to push back against COVID fascism, which has made government control every facet of our life like never before, and how he once said, "Just wear, quote, just wear a damn mask." So Rubio's chief of staff and communications director reached out to me on Twitter and like tweeted at me, "How dare you? This is terrible. You're a demagogue." And look, I mean, I I was friends with them. I knew them years back, a decade ago, from Heritage Action. I have nothing against them. And I, I get it. You got to defend your boss. You know, you chose to work for him. But what I found amazing is their response to me proved my point better than I made in the column. And it, I've never seen anything like this. What they said was basically like, Well, he wasn't issuing a mandate. He was just kind of saying as a private citizen that this is what he's doing and this is what he feels, you know, is a good idea. But he's not mandating it. Daniel, if you don't understand the difference between, you know, advice and a a mandate, you're a demagogue. I was like, here we are in the middle of a pitched battle for civilization over our liberty. One of the issues of our time, whether human beings will ever be let out, allowed to show their faces, And then it's also what it represents, the fear of the rest of the lockdowns. It greases the skids for lockdowns because it's the most evident apparent um, symbol that we are no longer free and that there's fear and that we have to we can't live normally. It's the most evident symbol that we are obsequious to government. If you can't see that, you're brain dead. I've never seen anything like that. So we're in this pitch battle, and Marco not only doesn't lay down on the tracks to oppose it, he uses very strong language to condemn our side and side with the left. Albi saying, well, I'm not implementing it. I'm just kind of advocating, but not for a mandate, but just that you should do it. So I was like, exactly. Here's what Republicans do. Oh, and then the second thing was, Rubio has already said that schools and businesses should be open. Yeah, but Rubio also obsesses about COVID and the need to stop it and that human intervention does. He's just saying that the left is going too far. Mind you, in March, April, May, did nothing when when they got really bad. And thanks to people like me that have done such hard work exposing... Some of the things they'll look at the most radical things. And once we jump in the bath, then they start to dip their toe in. Yeah, maybe maybe we shouldn't be doing this. But that's that's not an equal and opposing force. You know what that is, folks? That's like Democrats are pushing a runaway locomotive of tyranny down a hill with gravity. And Rubio and all of them go and push with them. Wear a damn mask. Oh my gosh, we need to flatten the curve. Oh my gosh, yeah. And then they're like, well, I didn't want the train to go quite that far. Well, gee, I'm not seeing you pushing back with equal and opposing force stop the damn lockdowns. I'm not seeing you even rhetorically combat what you originally said against us, for us, with equal and opposing force, much less use all the stimulus bills that Rubio thinks we don't spend enough stimulus as to precondition the funding that businesses and schools can't be closed down. So it's like, yeah, I, don't, I oppose that. This is the game they play. They support what the left does in action and rhetorically. And the left takes it too far and they pick the most extreme things And like, eh, you shouldn't be doing that. They don't harness any of the leverage points. They have to block it. That's our opposing force. That's the opposition party that he proved my point. It's like his, he his point was like, you know, I, I didn't find where Rubio was like, you know, championing lockdowns like Gavin Newsom. I'm never I was never accusing him of being as bad as Gavin Newsom, but that that that's part of my point. That's part of my point. It's like if you have one of these knockout mobs that surround you and beat you to a pulp. And then you have people that run and build themselves as guardian angels to save you from the mob. And not only don't they pull the mob off, but they stand over you along with the mob with their fist an inch from your face. They don't punch you, but the fist is an inch to your face. Those are the more conservative Republicans like Rubio. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about the Mitt Romneys. That's how they behave. You can't fight a battle when your own guns have the bullets come out the other side and hit you in the face. You can't do that. We need a clean slate. Really, we need a new party and leave the Republicans with the Never Trumpers and the losers and the Lincoln Project, which has no constituency. So we'd wind up really having only two parties, which is good. It's not going to split the vote much. But at least I'm asking at least finally get to where I was 12 years ago and focus on primaries and unite behind that and make that a mainstream movement. But I'm not hearing this from any of these so-called conservatives that earn so much money from talking and writing and cable news and whatever else. This is what we're up against with the phony Republican Party. Now, obviously, any of this is going to start at the granular local level. And it's doable. Really good story we have today from the Colorado Herald. Monument becomes COVID-19 sanctuary city. Number 08-2021 passed the Monument Board of Trustees unanimously tonight in a 7-0 vote. In a December 7th meeting attended by five of the seven trustees, Mayor Don Wilson and the board members present decided at the end of the meeting to draft a resolution to allow all businesses to open if they choose. Mayor Don Wilson ordered a resolution to be drafted, which was passed tonight after mostly positive comments from the public. The town of Monuments Facebook page was flooded in the hours after the resolution passed, mostly with positive comments, such as Wesley Owens coffee shop owner, Lindsay Lady, or Latte, who appraised the city council for their commitment to allowing businesses to support their families. And folks, this is the model. How many towns and counties are conservative? I mean, Trump won 83% of the counties. And this isn't a blue state. How much more so if you're a red county in Ohio, in Alabama? Easily you should be opened. And the mask stuff should be gone. Now, I don't know how much it governed. I didn't get a chance to take a look at the text of it. But at least that's starting in the right direction. This is what needs to happen. And this is what could happen against anything Biden does. And mind you, the COVID stuff didn't come from Biden. It's obviously been going on all year. But whether they come for guns, whether they come for free speech, First Amendment, Second Amendment, we are a sanctuary for the Bill of Rights. We are a sanctuary for American values. All politics is local if we make it that way. That's what the left does. They were able to do this to thwart federal immigration enforcement. Certainly, we can do this to follow the Constitution and protect American rights. Now, another item to fight back. I'm thinking of all different ways to fight back. So I want to just float a couple of things by you. Another positive story to focus on is the story out of Idaho. I'm sure a lot of you have seen the Northern Idaho Internet Provider. Blocked Facebook and Twitter. It's uh, your T1 Wi-Fi. They confirmed with KREM News that they would block Facebook and Twitter for some customers, the customers that want it blocked. And Northern Idaho should be a hotbed for limited government, as it always has been. This is where the sanctuary movement starts. We need to fight back. And fight back strong. So I was thinking along this line of thought, you know, what is a way that we could fight back? What do we control? What do we have leverage on? Not much. (laughs) The left controls everything. And the thought crossed my mind, we control guns and ammo. I mean, Mainly. Especially ammo. Ammo was of, by, and for the Second Amendment community in this country. And the thought crossed my mind. With all the atrocities that the ATF has committed. And the FBI. But ATF is a lower hanging fruit. It's a smaller fish in the pond. How come we haven't cut them off? What if all gun owners would pressure some of these companies if they start suspending liberties to suspend arms and ammo contracts with them now look something like glock is going to be hard it's ultimately an international company even though you know a lot of things are made in america i doubt we'll succeed in that but to me like the fbi uses hornaday critical duty atf uses spear for ammo what if we start with ATF? I mean, FBI is kind of big, but I, w- I would hope to get there one day. Those are the two organizations that, frankly, need to be abolished. They literally serve no good, and they only do bad. What if we cut them off? This is how we need to start thinking. We need to fight fire with fire. Fight fire with fire. And another idea I had, I'm just floating a couple of things. I'm always thinking of ideas. They might not all be good, but we're thinking of them. And and look, I welcome your ideas. Email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Let's discuss this at our Minimum Speak Easy page until we find a better landing place for our gathering. But I was thinking, one of Biden's plans is to raise taxes. Now, he's going to raise taxes on... All of us, but one of the items is to raise the corporate tax rate back up to 28%. Among a couple of other provisions, I haven't had time to delve into it. But it was 35%. They dropped it down in 2017 to 21%. He wants to raise it to 28%. And Republicans are going to lie down on the tracks to block that. Because it's like the only thing they'll fight. The thought crossed my mind. What if we just said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and join. We're actually not going to filibuster your bill in the Senate. We'll pressure Republicans to say, you know what? Let's have a 40% tax rate, but make it on businesses with more than 5,000 employees. And bear with me here. You might have thought you, you never hear me say this but I really mean it. I'm not just joking. I really do believe it from a principled end. You cannot use anti-market interventions and anti-free market policies for decades culminating with one year where you shut down small businesses and then Amazon and Walmart make a fortune off of the ultimate government communism and then you're like, well, Daniel, free market. No, you can't do that. We have to rectify what happened. And to me, what needs to happen is to level the playing field. See, this is not what the left does. The left looks at the natural order of things and they say, oh, these people have too much money. These people have too little. Let's redistribute. But I'm saying government already redistributed. We have to redistribute it back. So let's raise taxes on them and have a five-year moratorium on all taxes, make it 0% for, say, I don't know, companies under 300, 500 people, wherever you want to draw that line. To me, that latter provision would be reparations, but the broader point is this. What we have had in America is worse than Europe in many respects. The one thing worse than socialism is low-tax venture socialism, where basically the government rather than taking everything over directly, indirectly deputizes a governing elite of so-called private conglomerates, gives them favors through endless monetary morphine, manipulation of monetary policy through the Federal Reserve, all of the regulations that small businesses don't have the economies of scale to deal with, from Sarbanes-Oxley to Dodd-Frank, but the big ones do, and then, that empowers them with control over our free speech, over our lives. They censor us. They promote cultural Marxism. They, they promote fiscal Marxism, too. It's not like they're with us on the fiscal issues. They support regulations, the ones that they don't care about. They support Obamacare. The healthcare industry is the worst. They're the ones promulgating the COVID fascism, the test and trace. The socialist healthcare system we have today, they promoted Obamacare. They promote individual welfare because they don't care. They certainly promote corporate welfare. The one thing they want is low corporate taxes. So you know what? I'm not going to allow you to break the rules of free markets a hundred times and then use one to your advantage. The one thing they don't like from Democrats that they need Republicans for Republicans give them. No. We're going to make you fight. We're going to raise taxes on you too, buddy. So you're going to have to pick sides once and for all. You're not going to go and take our goodwill on free markets to crush the market. To create a monopoly. You're not going to do that to us. I'm sorry. It's time someone say that. Republicans have built up this asymmetry for so long that they've been so liberal on every fiscal issue and certainly social and cultural issue, but taxes, it's created this distorted playing field. It makes no sense. It's created this ability for corporate America to be stronger than ever, but tyrannical because they have the low taxes, but they benefit from all the other facets of socialism holding down small business. So I think this is another thing we have to make very clear. You know, we're going to fight Biden with every tool we have, mainly at a state level, but if he wants to pass a tax increase, which is one of the few things he'll probably still go through Congress for, why stand in his way? Or at least I'd use that as a, as a, as a bargaining chip. Hey, we'll give you the corporate tax increase. You know, you get rid of of some of the individual tax increases he wants. And then I'll be honest with you, and I know, you know, some of you might not like what I'm going to say. But I'm open even to the individual tax increases, not because I believe in them. I don't believe in the corporate tax increases either, you know, in in a vacuum. But just because people, I want people to feel the pain. And I want some of these wealthy people, many of them who, who are liberal, probably more who are they not, to feel the pain. I'm sick of us falling on our swords being called hating the poor so we could bail out wealthy liberals that crush us. I'm not saying I I believe in the principles of that fiscal policy as an end to itself. I'm just saying if the Democrats are going to viciously push it, why should we get in their way? Maybe it's time people feel the pain so they can finally join us and rebel. We've made it too easy for people fiscally with the stimuluses and the handouts and the Tax cuts, but then everything else is like North Korea. It's North Korea with a tax cut. That's basically America. North Korea, tax cut, and a printing press. That's unsustainable. We're all in this together, right? And then again, I also want to talk about something else from a principal standpoint. We're, we're talking about this theme, and I've been talking about this for a while, of you can't half-ass constitutionalism or free markets because sometimes you get an outcome that's more anti-constitutional more anti-market than anything it's like I noted with election law you can't have the left violate each and every facet of election law have the federal courts crush any state that tries election integrity measures tries to implement them and then suddenly when our last recourse is to go to the federal courts to fight it, oh no it's a state issue You can't do that. Just like you can't do it with the markets and have low-tax socialism. So a similar thing is with the concept of a business's right to deny service. Look, I'm on record as saying Title VII of the Civil Rights Act is unconstitutional. I do believe a business has a right to do what it wants. But if we are going to have a regime in place for 70 years in this country that you can't discriminate against people if you're a private business. And to the the point that it's like overzealous and it crushes small businesses. And then these businesses have gotten so many favors from the federal government. Yeah. If you are the gatekeepers of something that is now the equivalent of roads and bridges, AKA cyber access to the internet you better believe you can't do that. And let me show you this double standard, how strong it is. What is more tyrannical? What is more denying free speech? Of Trump blocking people on his private Twitter or the entire big tech getting together to ensure that not a single conservative could ever express an opinion anywhere? could do business, e-commerce, anything. Okay? A lot of people forget, this was in 2019. Trump was sued for blocking people on Twitter. Now, mind you, blocking is a misnomer, because it sounds like an active term, like I'm silencing you, but it's not, it's just I'm denying you the ability from your account, account to directly see my tweets, right? I mean, like, you don't have a right, an unalienable right to see my tweets. Um, you just don't. And you 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 could still speak as much as you want. No one's blocking you. You know, you could speak all you want. You could even view that guy's thing if you log into something else. You just can't see it directly from that account. That's all Trump did. And Naomi Buckwald, that was in 2018, a New York Federal District Judge, and then the Second Circuit upheld her ruling. It was an opinion written by a George W. Bush appointee, Judge Barrington Parker. He wrote that, quote, the First Amendment does not permit a public official who utilizes a social media account for all manner of official purposes to exclude persons from an otherwise open online dialogue because they express views with which the official disagrees. Now, I know you're going to say, well, that's a public official, but that's nonsense because it's not like he was they were like doing public business like notifying people of their tax returns and IRS, you know, online. It wasn't official business. He was expressing his opinions as a private citizen. There's one thing if Congress passes a statute, which they've never done, that they codify Twitter as an official means of doing business and, and have certain regulations and parameters. But just because he's president, he has the right, I mean, he didn't conduct official business. He sounded off on Twitter. Whether you loved it or hated it, that's what he did were was private opinions. He's allowed to do that. But they said that violated the First Amendment of other people. Quote, the individual plaintiffs further contend that their inability to view, retweet, and reply to the president's tweets limit their ability to participate with other members of the public in the comments thread that appear below the president's tweets. (laughs) The parties agree that without the context of the president's original tweet, it is more difficult to follow the conversations occurring in the comments thread. That was that was a case in controversy that was they and they won it in a district and appellate court and the supreme court has yet to overturn it. That's an absurd frivolous lawsuit. It's absurd to say you have a first amendment right. But if you're going to tell me you have a first amendment right to fully be able to see from the account you're logged in an individual's tweets then you sure as heck have the right to tweet yourself and not get silenced. It would be the equivalent of saying, this is what the well, what basically the legal system is saying now. If you're a private business, you could say, I hate blacks, I hate whites, I hate Hispanics, I hate whatever, Catholics, I hate Jews, I hate conservatives. I'm not servicing you in my restaurant. But if someone else buys from it, they have to share it with me and they're denying me if they don't share it with me. That's what they're saying. It's it's mentally ill. But again, this is the two-tier justice system we live in. And I'm not going to sit and be so-called principled with this oh private enterprise when it's a two-tier justice system. Just like I'm not going to stand and watch the FBI hunt down every human being who is present in the Capitol, some of them maybe even not even inside, when technically they didn't necessarily break laws. When they are literally letting go and not prosecuting people that engaged in the most widespread violence in the history of the country. I'm sorry. That's not being principled anymore. Look, obviously the people that you know are, are indicted for just harming people and really breaking things, I understand that. But you cannot have such asymmetry. This guy hunting people down, the U.S. attorney, federal prosecutor, um, Michael Sherwin from D.C., this guy in, in September dropped charges for all but one individual Involved in rioting, there were um, forty-two people arrested by police. Spray painting buildings and set fire to patio with umbrellas in D.C. If you remember that last year, and this guy dropped charges because because it's a persecuted two-tier justice system. This is from NBC News. Um, Government dropped charges against all inauguration protesters. This was from 2018. They're talking about the inauguration a lot, right? Okay? They're scared that there's going to be right-wing violence, right? Do you know that there was tremendous violence at the Trump inauguration Trump supporters were beaten. Mind you, Biden supporters have never been beaten anywhere. Trump supporters are being beaten across the country to this day, this week in San Diego. Nothing happens. You understand, this is not whataboutism. When you have a level 100 clampdown on rioting, let's call it a riot, from the right, in terms of how many people you're roping in, to what extent, and a level zero on the other side that did it so many more times. See, like, to me, I made this point about the so-called peaceful protesters. I said, look, don't give me this garbage that you're peaceful when you're part of a crowd that's beating the hell out of people. But the difference is you have forewarning. I think all of us know now, we're not going to go and join certain people, you know, if we're same people, in protesting. This never happened before. It took one time. These people showed up again and again and again and again with these people. Now, again, even, even then, we're not saying anyone caught on the ground just chanting, if they're not breaking a law, they should just be grabbed and arrested because there were other people that were breaking laws. What I'm telling you is they dropped all the charges against those that committed violence at Trump's inauguration. Another thing we could talk about, a judge blocked the first planned federal execution of a female inmate in almost 70 years. Lisa Montgomery, she was slated to die um, by lethal injection just eight days before Bush's inauguration. Second inauguration. She strangled um, a woman who was eight months pregnant and removed the unborn child who survived from the womb after the murder. Okay? But what happens is, now that it gets delayed and delayed and delayed for years and years and years, guess what? Now, they're saying she needs ample opportunity to plead insanity because her health her mental health is deteriorating. And the court is like, yeah, that's legitimate. So therefore we have to stay the execution so they can make that argument. You understand, we have a court system that is of by and for only criminals. And I'm not saying a court system shouldn't be there to defend and, you know, give ample rights To even iwi people. But I'm not talking about iwi people. I'm talking about people that were legally convicted of the worst crimes, as opposed to people that just have iwi views and they haven't been convicted of a crime yet. When you do a level 100 on us and a level zero on them, the message it sends to the public is that we are expendable, we are subhuman, we don't have rights. And that's where you see it's a green light for them, to, ironically, to engage in unprovoked violence against Trump supporters and get away with it. And, of course, anyone who defends themselves, they will be prosecuted. So anyone who's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, Daniel, we have to be principled. We we believe in law and order, and these guys should be hung, what they did in the Capitol. Well, yes, anyone that committed a crime, absolutely, I mean, commensurate with whatever it, the punishment should be, but... And certainly, if those are caught, you know, with with murdering uh, Officer Sicknick, what I'm saying is the degree that they're roping in people, and and they're rhetorically, and maybe even actually doing this. We have to see some of these cases, just roping in anyone who is caught there. It's like I saw the FBI is hunting for the guy with a Confederate flag in the in the, in the building. Well, I mean. Did, did he do anything else? Did he steal? Did he break? Did he loot? He was caught walking through the halls with a Confederate flag. Is that a crime? You could say that in your view, that's repugnant, but is that a crime? Well, you entered. Well, was he let in? A lot of them were let in. Like, it, let's say he wasn't let in. The crime would be circumventing a metal detector. But, dude, I mean, that is the threshold. If that's the threshold, there would be a million BLM people in in, in, in in prison. That should disturb anyone. I'm not saying we shouldn't prosecute trespassing, but I'm saying we never did that with BLM. We're not prosecuting the beaters and the arsonists. We're dropping charges. That is very disturbing. That is a persecution. Anyway, folks, we're way out of time. I hope I gave a little bit of Jeremiah mixed with Isaiah some hope. Light, a glimmer of light amidst the darkness. But that's the thing. This has to be used as an opportunity for a clean sweep of the GOP. Follow me on Rumble at Harwood Citizen Sanctuary. Miniman Speakeasy and Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary on Facebook. Email me at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow or before tomorrow, make sure you sign up at ConstitutionCoach.com to meet me at the best defense training ever at Frontsight Nevada February 7th. Till then, stay safe and stay armed.